on November 8th, 1994, Scott and Janet Willis were driving through the Milwaukee area on I-94 with their six youngest children in a minivan. Six youngest. That means they had more. Uh, not judging. They, they had left a couple of hours before, before from Chicago. They had fun singing and laughing together on the first part of the trip. But after they stopped and got gas, they encouraged the children to get some sleep. Three older children. Yes, that's nine. Three older children were not with them. When he was able, Scott Willis described what transpired on I-94 that November day. I was looking at the road and was alert. Our little baby was behind us. Ben was behind us on the other side. In the back were the other four children. They were all buckled in. I saw the object, a metal brace, six inches by 30 inches, 30 pounds. I thought it was one of those blocks that maybe came off a flatbed truck. The car in front of me swerved, and I knew I couldn't miss hitting the object. I thought if I took it on the tire, I might roll the car. It was a split-second decision. When we hit the object, the rear gas tank exploded, taking the car out of control. I was able to grip the wheel and take the car out of the slide. When we were sliding uh, and the flames were coming up around the seat, it was a shock. It was a surprise. Like, what, what is this? It was just roaring flames coming up on both sides. I was yelling to get out of the car. Janet and I had to consciously put our hands into the flames to unbuckle the seat belts and reach for the door handles. Janet fell out of the door while the car was still moving. Our son, Benny, was in the midst of the burning. His clothes were mostly burned off by the time he got out. The five youngest children who had been asleep died instantly. No sound was heard by Janet or me as we struggled to get out of the van. An unknown man took his shirt off his back to soak Benny's wounds, and another beat out the burning clothes on Janet's back. Benny died in intensive care around midnight. If possible, the tragedy got even worse for Scott and Janet Willis. They had found some comfort in knowing that their children had died instantly, but months later they learned that there were signs that some of the children struggled to get out of the van. Their son, Benny, lost consciousness at the scene, and they assumed that he had not regained it before he died. But a hospital worker told them that he was alive and alert at the hospital, and he asked her to hold his hand, but she was unable to do so because of the burns. He had asked her to pray with him as well. Then Scott and Janet Willis learned that the driver of the semi had obtained his license illegally because of corruption under George Ryan, future governor of Illinois at that time, Secretary of State. Licensing facilities has, had accepted bribes that allowed unqualified drivers to receive licenses. These bribes became a part of Ryan's campaign fund, and ironically, Janet Willis had voted for Ryan the very morning of the accident. On the morning of the accident, the driver ignored repeated warnings from other drivers that a large piece of metal was going to fall off the back of his truck. It all seemed so senseless. So preventable. Where was justice for Scott and Janet Willis? Where was justice for the victims of Hitler's concentration camps during World War II? Where is justice for the victims of the 9-11 attacks and their families? Where's justice for the victims of the USA gymnastics abuse scandal? Where is justice for the abuse and the mistreatment that you and I have experienced in our lives? 
That is exactly what Habakkuk is wondering. And God answers him in Habakkuk 2, 5 through 20. And that's where we're going to be today. So if you'll turn there, Habakkuk, um, kind of in the middle of your Bible, a little past the middle. Uh, Look at your table of contents. That will help you the most, I think. But Habakkuk chapter 2, a little background if if you've missed uh, our first few messages in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1.13, Habakkuk basically says, God, do you overlook injustice? You're using these Babylonians who are terribly unjust people to deal with the, unju- uh, with the injustice of Judah, your chosen people. And God says, yes. But they will be judged and punished as well. And 2 verse 4, last week Ryan Graydon talked about this. It contrasts the Babylonians who are arrogantly boastful to God's righteous people who live by their faith. And faith is simply trusting in the promises and the power of God. And how could they do that? They could do that with assurance that God is just and will bring justice. But the problem for Habakkuk and the problem for us is 2 verse 3. It says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Justice often is not carried out in the timing that we want. And it's super frustrating. But God answers Habakkuk's big question, do you overlook injustice, by essentially answering four other questions. And that's going to frame our time today. So, the first question is this. God, do you overlook greed? Verses 5 through 11. Verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And and loads himself with pledges will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them verse 9 woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. God, do you overlook greed? Verse 5, just like wine or just like alcohol makes you falsely confident and arrogant And never at rest and insatiable for more alcohol. Greed makes you falsely confident and insatiable for more wealth. Greed is an excessive desire for wealth or possessions. Look closely at verse 6 with me at the beginning of verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him? Okay, who's talking? What's going on? You, can, you miss it if you don't understand verse 6. The rest of it doesn't make any sense. So God is speaking. He's the one speaking in this whole section. 
And then when he says, shall not these, these are God's righteous people. Habakkuk being one of them. And it says, take up their taunt. They're still Habakkuk and God's righteous people. Shall not they take up their taunt? A taunt is a complaint of injustice. And it's a righteous complaint. They're just in bringing this complaint. Shall not they take up their taunt against him? Who's him? The unjust Babylonians. So God's saying, this is what you, Habakkuk, could rightly say to the injustice that's going to happen. Now, God could have just said these things himself. But instead, he gives a voice to the voiceless. And that's part of his justice. It's also prophetic. He's not just giving them a voice. This is actually God's voice. God is speaking, which means we know this is going to happen. This isn't like, well, they might get justice. They might not. Not really sure, but you can say this stuff to make you feel better, Habakkuk. No. God is saying this. It is going to happen. Justice will be served. At the end of verse 6, he starts the section of the woes. And there's five of them. And I'm clumping the first two together under greed. The Babylonians are taking other people, taking other people's money, their stuff, their homes, even killing them. He's, and he's even destroying the earth in the process so that he can get and get and get so that they can take and take and take mine, mine, greed. So I was trying to think of something that would illustrate greed. And how many of you have been to Old Country Buffet? Nobody. Okay, we got a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Raise them high. Great. So, Old Country Buffet, just think pizza ranch, except every kind of food possible. Okay? Um, Old Country Buffet, I think I was in college, and we decided, you know what? We're going to cheat the system. Right? We're going to go in right when it opens at 11, and we're going to eat lunch. And then we're just going to stay and keep, keep grazing, keep eating all the way to supper. Right? And we did it. We went like in the bathroom like at three o'clock and like changed clothes. Like we, it was elaborate. It was, it was crazy. Um, But we came back out and for some reason, I mean, this is kind of how college students tend to be. uh, But like, I never really got full. I just kept eating and eating and eating and eating. It was gross looking back, but it was a lot of fun at the time. Um, But that is what greed is like. Greed is insatiable. You just want more and more and more wealth, more stuff, more stuff, and you'll do whatever it takes to get it. And that is what the Babylonians were like. That's what it's describing here. Verses 9 and 10, we see that their motivation behind their greed, though, is their own comfort and their own ease. Who cares that we left thousands of people homeless and hurting? We're fat and happy, and that's all that matters. Me, 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 regardless of the cost. In verse 8 and in verse 11, God answers that question of, God, do you overlook greed with a resounding no? Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. They will pay. Justice will be served. You'll have to do the same. You'll, you'll have to go under uh, the same uh, things that you've been doing to people are going to be done to you now, Babylonians, except even worse. In verse 11, it says, For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. 
And literally, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, that happened to the Babylonians. So they're having this big, wild party. Okay, the Babylonians, their leadership, they just had this, this crazy party. And that night, this hand just mysteriously shows up and writes on the wall. And it, 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 the, the hand essentially spells out, they learn from Daniel, who interprets it, that God is going to punish you and is going to bring justice on you Babylonians. And of course, they just kind of laugh about it. And that very night, they got taken over. God does not overlook injustice and he does not overlook greed and he didn't do it with the Babylonians. Second question, God, do you overlook oppression? Verses 12 to 14. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with all the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is oppression? Oppression is the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or just, unjust manner. It's the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. Verse 12 in the New Living Translation says, What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? See, they use their power to cruelly murder people and build up their own cities and essentially build up their own reputation. They're taking precious human lives of the Judeans who are made in the image of God and oppressively killing them just to better themselves. Verse 13, this is the first time that the word Lord, a capital L-O-R-D, in the Hebrew, Yahweh, it's the covenantal personal name of God. It's the first time it's used in this section where God is speaking. Why? Because this injustice is not just done to people. It's a personal attack on God. If you're going to oppressively kill my image bearers, you're messing with me, God is saying. So you better believe God's answer to this question, do you overlook oppression, is absolutely not. And in verse 14, we see that there's hope for all injustice. All of injustice in this section and all injustice ever is found. Hope for that is found in this section. Even the unjust, the wicked, the selfish Babylonians and future nations and people like the Babylonians will one day humbly be faced with the glory and the greatness of God and answer to Him for their actions and be punished accordingly. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what this is pointing to in verse 14. Third question, God, do you overlook abuse? Verse 15 Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. 
how did they abuse verse 15 is pretty explicit. Theologian James Bruckner says this, the Babylonian practice of inducing drunkenness is abusive in and of itself, but it was also a symbol for the degradation and exposure of lands and cultures. So it was both actually what they did to people and a symbol for the abusive shaming of whole people groups. And I'll let you fill in the gaps with all the other things that they assuredly did with what it says in verse 15. It's terrible. It's abusive. Verse 17. The abuse didn't stop with God's image bearers. Look at that. The violence done to Lebanon. They abused God's creation too. Lebanon is referring to the cedars of Lebanon. We see that mentioned throughout scriptures. And and this was this majestic forest. And it was known to it was known for, for creating extensive woodwork in Babylon. But it, it wasn't just like, we're going to use some of these trees to do that. No, it was like destroying the whole redwood forest out in California. Let's just let's destroy all of it and use it for our own gain. No regard for anyone, even God's creation. And then it says destruction of the beasts in verse 17. And I don't really know what that means. No one really knows what that meant. But I have in my mind something like Mike Vick... Uh, dogfight stuff going on, that like that sort of thing, except worse. And I don't know what worse would be, and I don't want to think about it. But um, destruction of the beast, they're, they're, they're destroying God's creation. It didn't just end with humans. It was anything and everything, just abuse, abuse, abuse. And God answers again this question, do you overlook abuse with a resounding no? A, no abuse will go unpunished. God graphically, and I think even a little sarcastically in verse 16, answers, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Drink, be exposed. God's like, you abuse my people, you abuse my creation. Here's a taste of your own medicine and more. Because God hates abuse and no abuse will go unpunished. Fourth question, God, do you overlook idolatry? Verses 18 and 19. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation. When he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing. Awake. To a silent stone. Arise. Can this teach? Behold it is overlaid with gold and silver. And there is no breath at all in it. The Babylonians. Literally made metal and wooden idols to worship. Why did they do it? They did it so that they could create and control God. In their own liking. Why? So that they could please and benefit themselves. So ultimately they could be God. Pastor Recap Gray from Cottage Grove in Des Moines, who's here a few weeks ago, said this. Atheism is the seedbed of injustice. Or, or put another way, where you find godlessness, you will also find injustice. You see, when God's taken out of the picture... People just run rampant. 
Atheism is the seedbed of injustice, and that's exactly what happened to the Babylonians. And so for today, I don't know about you, but I don't walk around and see a lot of idols, like literal wooden or metal idols that people are worshiping and bowing down to and praying to. Um, Maybe that's in your uh, world, but it's not in my world that I see anyway. Um, But even the things that we tend to idolize in America, money, sex, control, comfort, are all about one thing. It's about pleasing ourselves. It's about self. So that ultimately, we may not even say it, but ultimately, we can be God. I can be God. That's what idolatry is all about. I don't want to have to bow to anyone else's wishes or rules or commandments, whatever. I want to make up my own, so I'm going to come up with my own God, and that way I can do whatever I want. problem is it leads to so much injustice and so much frustration because it's not what we were created for. We fight for comfort. Why? So that I can relax. We fight for sex. Why? So that I can feel good. We fight for money. Why? So that I can feel secure. I fight for control. Why? So that I can feel powerful. But God will not put up with it. Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We were not created for us. We were created for His glory. We were created to be self-focused. We were created to be God-focused and others-focused. God will not overlook idolatry because He knows that's not what we need most. He knows that our greatest need is more of God and less of ourself, less of our selfish desires. So what do we do with all this? Clearly, God does not overlook injustice. Three main areas that God does not overlook injustice. First one, he doesn't overlook injustice around us. So just think anything happening in the world right now that's unjust, anything that's happening in our country, in our city that is unjust, that will not be overlooked and it will not go unpunished by God. Corrupt world leaders with lavish homes surrounded by extreme poverty, that will not go overlooked or unpunished. Whole countries not being allowed to worship freely and even persecuting people who try to worship freely and try to worship Jesus. That will not go overlooked or unpunished by God. Whole people groups marginalized and treated like second-rate citizens and people just because of the color of their skin or their language or their religion will not go will not go overlooked or unpunished by God. People sold, abused, and treated like property to feed other people's sexual desires will not go overlooked and will not be unpunished by God. And that should bring us all sorts of comfort. When you turn on the news this week, and once again you're depressed by everything you see because of all the injustice in our world, 
You don't have to stop there and go, wow, that's terrible. You can find comfort. Here's why. Isaiah 61.8 says this. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. God loves justice. So if his justice seems slow right now, as you turn on the news and scroll through the news sites, know that he loves justice. And none of that will go unpunished and overlooked by God. And Jesus himself said this, John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All of the injustice around us will be taken care of because Jesus has overcome the world. We can find peace in the middle of that mess in Christ. So your homework this week is to turn on the news, to, to go to a news site and not stop at, wow, that is the worst. No, you take comfort that, in, that all of that injustice will not be overlooked or unpunished by God. Second main area is that God does not overlook the injustice done to us. So yes, he's going to take care of all of it around us. But anything ever done to us, anything that's happened, is happening, or will happen that is unjust will not be overlooked or unpunished by God. Maybe you were abandoned by your mom or your dad or both physically growing up. Maybe you were abandoned by your mom or your dad emotionally growing up. They were there, but they weren't there. You know what I'm saying? That will not be overlooked or unpunished by God. Maybe you have a friend, a coworker, a boss, a family member who just straight up lied about you. And because of it, you've got an unjust loss of respect, loss of friends, loss of jobs, loss of money. None of that will be overlooked or unpunished by God. Maybe you've been emotionally, physically, or sexually abused in your past or even currently. None of that will be overlooked or unpunished by God. Maybe you didn't pay. Maybe you're not being paid the amount that they said they were going to pay you. Maybe they didn't pay you on time. That will not be overlooked or unpunished by God. But we can take hope. We can have hope for all the injustice done to us. Romans twelve nineteen says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There's hope because anything that's ever been done to you that is unjust will be taken care of by God. One way or another. The third area, God doesn't overlook injustice in us. And this is where it gets real. This is where I started to squirm. 
anything that I have done, anything that you have done or will do or that you even thought that is unjust will not be overlooked or unpunished by God. See, the real injustice is our own sinfulness and selfishness towards God. So, if you've ever been impatient, rude, or a jerk to your spouse, to your kids, to your co-workers, to your employees, anybody, that will not be overlooked or unpunished by God. If you've intentionally ignored or dismissed the emotional needs of other people around you because you were too glued to your phone or to something else, that will not go overlooked or unpunished by God. And I can't say that that was not me this week a few times with my kids. If you've ever ignored the clear financial or physical needs of other people around you so that you can instead feed your own comfort, that will not go overlooked or unpunished by God. If you've ever fed yourself and your selfish desires instead of giving God your money, your time, the praise, the thanks that He deserves, that's not going to go overlooked or unpunished by God. Maybe you're the type of person that just likes to play the victim. You're always blaming other people. Woe is me. You know, sometimes you are the victim. Most of the time, it's, it's not just all on the other people, though. Playing the victim will not be overlooked or unpunished by God either. See, we love God's justice. Until we realize that it applies to us too. So this will have one of two effects on you. Or it should have one of two, of two effects on you. You'll be afraid. You will fear. But it will have one of two kinds of fear. Will it be sheer terror? Is it a fear of terror? If you have not believed in Jesus, if you are not a follower of Jesus, someday you will give account for everything unjust that you have said or done or thought and pay an eternal price. Jesus says it the best, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God will not overlook injustice in you. And if you don't know Christ, you'll answer to him someday. But the other response could be fear, but a, but a reverent fear, a fear of humility. And if you believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, this is what you can walk in. He's forgiven and paid my debt for my injustice. It's not that my debt didn't get paid. It's not that the unjust things that I've said and thought just get, just get kind of magically wiped away. No, Jesus paid for that on the cross. We were just singing about it. 
Jesus took all of that for me. It got punished. It did not go overlooked. And so when Jesus looks at me and Jesus looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees the blood of Jesus making you spotless. But apart from Christ, I'm doomed. So we should have a humility, a trembling before God that this is what I deserve, but instead this is what I get because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous or the just for the unjust. The just for the unjust that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So we'll end the way that God ends in this passage. Verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, shh. I am just. Shh. I will repay all the injustice around you. Shh. I will repay all the injustice that's been done to you. Shh. I will repay all the injustice in you, either by punishing you or punishing my son in your place. And I pray, I pray that it's the latter for you. So let all the earth keep silence before him. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray.